just a little bit, we are going to sing Amazing Grace. Are you familiar with the lyrics of that song? Uh, maybe it is a personal favorite for you. Uh, it's one of the, probably one of the more popular, maybe even the most popular Christian songs that's been around. It, it's been sung by all kinds of people from the very smallest of voices to pop icons and superstars. We've heard this song, Amazing Grace, and the author of that song, Amazing Grace, was a man named John Newton. Uh, He was a naval officer and then a commander of a slave trading ship in the middle of the 18th century. And then he became a pastor. And John Newton, on his own self-inscribed epitaph on his grave marker, it says this, says John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton's experience with the world, his experience with God and with God's Word, led him then to write a hymn, among many other hymns that he wrote, but to write a hymn, the very first line of which says, Amazing Grace. Is it? For you? Do you find God's grace amazing? Do you live as if God's grace is amazing? Or have those terms become a little bit watered down for us? I want you to think just the last time that you used the word amazing to describe something that you have seen or experienced you can get that in your mind. Last time you said, oh, that's amazing. Now, do we use that term amazing to describe the, the soccer goal? The football catch? The golf shot? The track sprint? The Taylor Swift concert that we got to go to? The dinner meal that we had, the the vacation that we took, the cruise that we went on, the, the nap. And if we say that was amazing when we describe those things, then then what do we mean if we say God's grace is amazing? And do we sometimes live as if God's grace is less than amazing? The question that I want to put before you today is whether or not we fully appreciate the amazing nature of God's grace. And if you're reading through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers who lived in the city of Ephesus in the first century, this Ephesians, the book in the Bible, if you're reading through it, you cannot help but recognize that God's grace, it is ridiculously amazing. Paul describes it as liberating, inspiring, and divinely miraculous. 
He says that possessing God's grace has this supernatural power to change your very lives, and God wants you to see that. God wants you to know that. And so my prayer today, as we gather together, as we spend time in the book of Ephesians, my prayer today is that we would gain a greater appreciation for God's amazing grace. And that that would allow us to know greater hope. And if it's true that we maybe don't fully appreciate the amazing nature of God's grace, maybe it's because we don't fully appreciate what life would be like without God's grace. The Apostle Paul, in chapter 1, he had laid out so many blessings that God had given to the people, the, the Christians that lived in the city of Ephesus. But then he also goes back and he talks about what they once were. It's exactly where he starts. He reminds them, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And guess what? That applies to you and me, too. We were once dead spiritually. We were, we were born into this world utterly and completely spiritually dead. As dead as those dry bones that Ezekiel saw in the very bottom of that valley, covered over by the sands of time. And you think about that, what does that mean for us? Well, what can a dead person do? Every single cop show that's ever been on TV, you know, they show the, the cops going into the morgue, and they always got to make like that play, the, the little clever thing where they walk in, it's a mortician, right? And then, well, what are they telling you today, right? Make it a joke. Because dead people can't talk. They can't sit up, they can't walk, they can't stand, they can't listen, they can't hear, they can't make a choice, they can't debate, they can't do anything. A, a dead body can just sit there and rot. That's all that it can do. And that's what Paul says is our spiritual state. When we are in our transgressions and sins, when we have crossed God's moral lines, when we haven't lived up to, we haven't hit that mark that God has called us to, you're spiritually dead. And even beyond that, God, Paul says even more, he says, not only were we dead, but we were under someone else's control. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You have a great enemy who is also the enemy of God. This ruler of the kingdom of the air. We know him as Satan. And Satan wants to control you. He, he wants to suppress you. He wants to control your mind and your heart so that you think that the, the gratification of your carnal desires, the, the self-centered way that you can live your life, that that's what's going to truly give you satisfaction and joy. That's what's going to truly allow you to get ahead. But really, he's just trying to control you, to rip you away from your God, to drive you further into death. And this spiritual state 
this really depressing spiritual state of death, it is universal. Paul says this, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our death and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He says, all of us. He says, like the rest, we're, we're no different from anybody else. And by our very nature, from our birth, we are deserving of wrath. Can you imagine growing up in a home where the only expectation that you had from your father was anger? Like, no matter what you did, no matter what you said, no matter how hard you tried, no matter how hard you worked, no matter how hard you, you worked and strived to impress him, to do something good, that the only reaction that you could expect to any of it was anger. Can you imagine that? Modern-day psychologists, they will quickly point out the, the repercussions for children that were to grow up in such a home as that. As they grow up, they would have incredible difficulty, difficulty coping, not knowing coping mechanisms, not being able to build meaningful relationships with others, struggling in those low self-esteem moments. But what Paul's describing here is not because of a psychological issue with our Heavenly Father. He is perfectly just, perfectly righteous. Now, he had every reason to be angry. Every reason to react that way. Every reason to react with wrath. Every reason to be vengeful and even cruel, but it wouldn't be cruelty. It would just simply be justice. He had every reason to deliver that just punishment if something didn't change in our lives, but you were dead. You couldn't make a change. And then there's this little but massive three-letter word, but. And this is why God's grace is amazing. This is why it is miraculous when we should have expected anger and wrath and punishment from God. God showed love. God overcame all of that, our sin, our transgression, death itself. He overcame all of that by His grace as He loved us. It's amazing. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. And I'm going to wait to continue what he says, because we've got to talk about this love that God showed for us. God showed us an incredible, remarkable kind of love. There's this immense love in his heart that drove him to save you. And in the Greek language in which Paul wrote these words, there was an understanding that love is very nuanced. There's all kinds of different ways that we can use the word love, right? 
And so the Greek language, it had a word for the kind of love that you have for someone or something that, that fills you up, that makes you feel good, and, and so you love it. It had another word for the kind of mutual love that exists between friends, but the love that's described here of God is this word called agape love. And that kind of love is a love of choice. It's a love of activity. It's a love that lifts another person up, regardless of what they have done. And so when Paul says that God loved us with this incredible love, then he goes on and he continues to say that he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This love drove God to send his only son for you. It drove Jesus to go to the cross and bear that awful punishment that was ours, that wrath of God, that righteous anger, to bear it so that you never would. That's what makes grace amazing. God made you alive again, spiritually alive together with Christ because you are united with Christ. And by God's grace, he did even more than that. By God's grace, he raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There is such a contrast here. Satan seeks to control you, but Christ seeks to elevate you. He seeks to lift you up. He raises you up and seats you together with him. Well, sometimes they talk about, like, what is the mark of a true leader? That, that a true leader doesn't just control his or her followers to get them to do what he or she wants, but a true leader can raise them up, can inspire them, can encourage them, can lift them up so that they, too, can make an impact. Dear friends, Christ Jesus has raised you up. He has lifted you up in the most remarkable way so that you also can make a remarkable impact because you have such a secure future in Jesus that you can serve those around you. And Paul, did, Paul says that God did all of this so that God would show the incomparable riches of this grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so we see God's amazing grace when we consider God's kindness in Christ. It's God, God's kindness in Christ that shows us the limitless and measureless riches of God's grace. In his kindness, God attributed to us the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus. In his kindness, he used Jesus' own blood to wash us clean of all of our sins. In his kindness, he forgave you. In his kindness, he calls you then to trust in everything that, God, that Jesus has done for you. And so Paul once again reiterates this grace. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith that you have, this is not from yourselves. It too is a gift of God. It too is a gift of grace. Not by works, so that no one can boast. 
And you notice here that Paul's words highlight God's activity. God's grace is recognized the most when God's activity is what is highlighted. And so if you're looking to see God's grace in your life, don't focus on your activity. Look to God's activity. Perhaps that's one of the ways that we really, truly don't fully appreciate God's grace because we want to look at our own works. We want an opportunity to boast. We want to be able to say that there's something that we have done. But when we do that, it steals credit away from God. And it hides His amazing grace. It limits our comprehension of God's incredible grace. And so, dear friends, your own works, your own accomplishments, they provide far less hope than God's activity in Christ. Don't look at them. Look at God's activity to see His grace. And when we have first looked at God's activity and seen His grace there, then we can also see God's grace in our own. Paul finishes this section with this last verse. He says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God's amazing grace, it is demonstrated also in the works that we do. So that we can give glory and thanks to God for His grace even there. That when you selflessly and sacrificially love your kids, that's God's grace. When you are moved to help a stranger in need, someone that you don't even know, but you're moved to help them, that is God's grace at work in your heart. When you love your spouse and you put them first, and you think about their needs and you consider what will be best for them, that's by God's grace. When you freely and generously give of your resources your time, your money in support of the, the kingdom of God, that is by God's grace. And when you slow down and you stop and you allow the, the preferences of another to win out the day, that is by God's grace. So dear friends, today we want to fully appreciate God's amazing grace. I read a really interesting article this last week. It was about dates. Not going out on a date, but the fruit that grows in Middle Eastern climates, and it grows on a palm tree. Um, very fascinating things that I had never known about dates, but one of the incredible things that was in this article about dates is that some researchers, some scientists, they had discovered seeds that had lined dormant around the Dead Sea area for nearly 2,000 years. And they were able to take those seeds and they were able, they wanted to see, could they germinate them? Could they start a plant off of those seeds that had been lying in the dusty sands for 2,000 years? And they were able to. They actually germinated the plant. It grew up. They have a, a date palm tree that's growing. They named it Methuselah. And then they grew another and they named it Adam and, and a few others that all have biblical names. And they thought that this was amazing, remarkable. For several years, they held the, the world record for the most ancient seeds to actually have germinated. 
But if that's amazing, if that is remarkable, what some people with some knowledge and science and time and a little bit of water and care and dedication and note-taking and everything else that went into that, if, if that's amazing, a little bit of hope and a little bit of a prayer that they had, if that's amazing that they were able to germinate those seeds, how much more amazing what God has done by His grace for you. How much more amazing that God didn't just take you because you were lying dormant for so many years, but He actually took you when you were spiritually dead and He made you alive again. How much more amazing that He didn't just pull you out of the dusty, arid sands, but He pulled you out from underneath the control of Satan. He pulled you out from that desert wasteland that you were in and brought you into his wonderful kingdom. How amazing that God's active love meant that he was even more dedicated to you than those researchers were dedicated to date seeds. God has made you alive with Christ. That truly is amazing grace. It truly is something to say. Amen.